Okay, we're back. Um, wait for everybody to file in here. I don't have anybody here. Okay, go ahead and please type your questions in. Can you hear me? We only have about three people so far. Can you please let me know if you can hear me now? Yes, okay, looks like we're back. Okay, great. It will take a little while for everybody to file in. So if you can uh, go ahead and please retype your questions. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, doesn't happen very often, but I apologize if you had to sit and listen to me talk or not talk for a good 10 minutes there. I was just really focused on the question, so I wasn't paging down to see that people were typing in that you couldn't hear me. Okay, so let's go ahead and type your questions. I don't have the prior chat. So please uh, type your questions in and we'll go from there. I'm just gonna wait a minute here before somebody types a question. All right, um, okay, well, oh, <laughs> I answered your question, William, but I guess that was one of the ones that you didn't hear my answer. So uh, William asked, would you recommend filing uh, a PPA through an LLC? And, you know, our students quite often, they just file a PPA using their own name. And you don't have to file it through an LLC. Perfectly fine if you want to file it through an LLC. I have never seen one of our students in 20 years get bit in the butt either way. So and if, if my audio cuts out along, I'll at all, I'll make sure to page down periodically, guys, so you can let me know. So if my audio does cut out again, please type in audio, no audio, and I'll have to restart the stream again, again because you cannot restart uh, stream by changing your microphone. If your microphone goes out, it's just kind of lame. So William says, would you recommend filing a PPA through an LLC? You can do it under your own name. You can do it on an LLC. When you do a deal, you always want the deal to be under an LLC, though, when you do a licensing deal. So either way, William, I've never seen it matter one way or another. It really doesn't matter. You can also transfer it then from one entity, if it's under your name, to an LLC later. It could be a little bit of work, but you can do that as well. You can also file a full utility and do that under the LLC and then reference the, the PPA. So it's not something I would really spend a lot of time worrying about. If you have a lot of assets, I would recommend filing it under an LLC. But again, never see to bite our students in the butt one way or another. Um, Alan says, uh, how to get started. That's a bit general, Alan. So I think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll answer some more specific questions. Alan, I would always, um, if you have an idea, I would, I will going to answer it anyway. Um, I would always look at the marketplace. So always go into Google Images. That's my favorite place. You can go to Amazon too and study all the products in that space. So if you have a doorstop, you should know every store stop out there. If you have a wine bottle opener, you should know every wine bottle out there, wine bottle opener out there. And most inventors never do that. And Google Images, not regular Google, is one of the best most efficient ways of doing that. You know, for commercial or industrial products and be a little harder, but you need to do that. You can't assume, well, I've never seen it. So that would be one of your first steps, Alan. I know it's kind of a general answer, but it's a good solid answer. Um, 
Okay. Gemini says that's much better. Uh, Jay Fireball, how do I contact the company to let them know about my product idea? And once I file a PPA, do I have to file a patent at the end of the 12 months? So no, you don't have to. And again, since we're starting a new live stream, I'll do another disclaimer. Anything that I share with you guys should not be considered public disclosure. Um, I'm sorry, should not be considered um, legal advice. Please seek the services of an attorney if you're uh, looking for legal advice. So that's what I'll say there. Um, and everything you do share with me is public disclosure, but you don't share your idea publicly, of course. Um, so Jay Fireball, when you, um, here's the thing. Our students, if you're a fully functioning event rights student, you will file a provisional patent application and then next week you start calling. You'll never need that year except for very rare, very difficult projects. But most inventors, rightfully so, you get excited about the provisional patent and you're like, hey, I can get patent pending status and feel protected, you know, for um, a year, you know, and it's not a provisional patent application is not a patent. It, it gives you 12 months. If you file a full utility, then you can reference the provisional and get protection from that date. So it's not a patent. Attorneys will be very anal about this. And they're correct in that it's not a provisional patent. It's a provisional patent application. So it preserves your filing date. Now, you can, and this is a great tip, on your sell sheet or any marketing materials, put patent pending. You don't have to say provisional patent pending. Put patent pending. It's great. It's great that legally you can do that. A lot of people are shocked by that. So, you know, when you're following the event right approach, especially if you're a student of ours, you'll never need that year. Um, but if for some reason um, you said, how do I contact a company and do I have to file a full patent at the end of 12 months? No. You don't necessarily. So if you haven't made public disclosure, which means showing it at a swap meet, putting it up publicly on YouTube, putting it up on a website, if you haven't publicly disclosed it and privately showing it to potential licensees via email is not considered public disclosure, you could file that same provisional again and get another year. Now you'll lose your original date from that first date, but let's say you file it after 11 months, you get a date from that 11 months and you would have that date established. And also anything that you show these companies would be, you'd have that paper trail on what you show them and when, and so they would not be considered the first true inventor to file. So you, you don't necessarily have to. People go, oh, now I have to spend my patent attorney saying, if I want to preserve my filing date, I have to file a new utility, a utility patent, pay them 10 grand. And technically, yes, if you want to preserve that filing date, but if you're okay with a new date, and the chances that somebody came up with it in that period are very low, and you're willing to take that risk, which I've never seen it bite somebody in the butt. It could technically, but is it worth 10 grand to a patent attorney? A lot of times, no. You can file another provisional. So it's a very empowering thing to know. But if you don't read, what's the point of continually filing these provisionals if you don't know how to reach out to companies? You get the warm and fuzzies are protected. You don't do anything with it. It runs out 12 months. And then some patent attorney says, oh, you've got to file a full utility. And you don't technically. Okay, but if you made public disclosure and you don't understand what public disclosure is, you're toast after a year of making public disclosure, which is showing it at a swap meet, putting it up on a website, publicly putting it up on YouTube, things like that. Okay, but privately showing it for a license is not considered uh, public disclosure with the American Vents Act. I forget how long that ago they they started the American's Vent Act quite a while ago. Um, 
John says, how would you contact a company that doesn't take outside inventions, even though your product is only suitable for that company? It's a huge barrier. Well, I, to be honest with you, John, why are you working? You should never really be working on a project that's only for one company. Most of the time when, our, when a student shows me a product, oh, I think it's just good for this company, I show them how it could be great for maybe five or 10 or 20 other companies. And so it's kind of a, you do all that work, show it to one company, if they're not interested, eh, done, kind of crazy. So, and then also on top of it, they're not open to product ideas. I guess my question is, why do you know? Does it just, does that mean that you didn't see something on the site that says they're open or they say flatly, we don't want your ideas? You know, there's a, there's a, there's a difference. Um, so yeah, those are, you know, is only suitable. If they flat out don't take, you're done with that project, John. So if they don't take outside submissions, it's only for this one company, you're done. Which is kind of like, you shouldn't work on those types of projects. You're just done. Now, if you, my guess, if you take a look at it, there's a bunch of other companies you could license this to if you tweak it, right? But if they're the only one that can license this, you can't change it. So it's good for 20 other companies. Um, and they're totally closed to licensing products. You're done. Move on. Um, sorry to be so blunt there, but that's, that's how it goes. Uh, JB, hi, Andrew. Thank you for taking time with, uh, with me on a, on a call. I took your advice and have watched many InventRight videos and they've answered many questions. But one, I searched using, I searched my idea using Google. Um, Google Shopping, I found works best for me and found ideas are part of a set, but not sold alone. Can I still do a PPA for that product alone? I, without looking at your product, I can't say for sure, JB, but if you feel like that product alone makes a lot of sense and maybe you make a slight tweak to it, you have to realize most products they're selling in the marketplace aren't patented. You know, and especially if you see a couple companies doing it, that's kind of public domain. And then you put your little twist on it for selling it separately from the set and making it a little bit different. And then maybe you can get a PPA on that. Or maybe it's just a good product and you can't get any patentability, but a company's like, oh, that's clever. We can do that because you can license products that aren't patentable. But I would suggest trying to make a little tweak on it and make it better um, or a little different and then license it to those companies. So um, I can't say for sure. You have to look at any other patents that are out there, but more than likely, yes. But I can't say without looking at your product for sure. Um, uh, David says, hi, I can't get a PPA in the UK. I was told I wouldn't be granted 12-month patent pending because my new drink recipe is not patentable. Will a PPA stop companies from stealing my product? What should I do? Um, well, a, a drink recipe, first off, all our students around the world, we've had students in 65 countries, they simply file a US provisional. So it doesn't matter if there's no provisional patent in the UK, you can file one in the US. Um, it doesn't matter if your product's not patentable too. Anybody can file a PPA. You could scribble on a piece of paper with crayon and turn it to the patent office and they would accept it. Is it going to be offering you any protection? Probably not. If somebody looked at it, would they go, this is scribbled with crayon, this is ridiculous? Yes, but there are no, are no formal requirements for filing a US provisional patent application. So to file provisionals on something you've straight up just know 100% isn't patentable, doesn't usually make sense, but sometimes it can even give you that perceived protection if it only costs $70.
Now, if it's a drink formulation, um, you got to ask yourself, does that make sense? Um, you can look at the formulation and, you know, you, you kind of have to talk to companies that make drink formulations and figure out if there's some angle that is patentable or protectable as a trade secret. So sometimes when things aren't patentable like that, you can do a trade secret. I mean, that's what Coca-Cola did with the formula. They just don't disclose the formula or the manufacturing processes. So, um, but it's a, it's kind of odd with a drink formula because you have to send them this formula and now a stranger is sending you something they're supposed to drink. I've always found that to be a little bit, uh, a little bit odd. Um, so uh, licensing a recipe can be difficult, but with a drink formulation, you could keep it a trade secret and still pitch it, David. So it is possible. Um, okay. Uh, Mr. Esco, because before when everybody was on, before we restarted, I answered this question to Mr. Esco and he said, is it hard to get in the car industry? And I explained that there's two different um, types, categories in the car industry. There's OEM, there's manufacturers, car manufacturers, Volkswagen, General Motors, Mercedes, BMW, that sort of thing. And then there's automotive aftermarket. Licensing to a major automotive manufacturer is extremely, extremely difficult. And people are like, well, this should be on every car coming off the line. But you have to realize if you add 200 bucks to the cost of that car and only a percentage of people want that feature, they're going to balk at you and go, dude, no, we're not doing that. So it has to be a feature that really can be done very cost effectively, but provides tremendous value in order to get it on every car coming off the line. Automotive aftermarket, huge, like a new air can, new car air freshener, new rims, new mufflers. Um, one of our students licensed a new Jeep door that goes on a Jeep. It kind of goes up like a Lamborghini door um, as opposed to a mesh thing that goes on a Jeep. So, You've got huge numbers of potential licensees when you're doing an automotive aftermarket product. Um, you have a lot less. You have like how many major automotive manufacturers there are there? I, I don't know the exact number between five and 10, maybe. There's very few. And so you can license to a major automotive manufacturer, but it's very difficult. Automotive aftermarket is huge. So ask yourself the question, could this be an automotive aftermarket product that people can buy and add to their car? And I know everybody, I want it to go on every car coming off the line. Most of the time, it's not realistic. And it's going to be very hard to pull that off. Um, but, you know, if you want to do that, there are interesting techniques you can use. So let's say you've got a new windshield technology and you license to a vendor that sells to General Motors, to the, one of the vendors that sell windshields to General Motors, let's say General Motors doesn't make their own windshields, that are a little more approachable than a General Motors. So that can be doable, licensing to a contractor that then sells to the major automotive manufacturer. And maybe that contractor sells to aftermarket companies, maybe they sell to GM and also Volkswagen, you never know. So, but it's, it's hard, it's very hard. But automotive aftermarket, not hard, very doable trying to license a major automotive manufacturer, very, very difficult. You need pat strong patentability. It is possible, but it's difficult. Um, so Matt says, hey, bud, <laughs> uh, your content is amazing. Thank you, Matt. Uh, thank you. Are Wi-Fi and Bluetooth te te technology patented or fair game to incorporate into other objects? Um, 
you know, I don't know the details of the Bluetooth. I mean, people include Bluetooth in their products all the time. I don't know if there's a royalty to be paid there or it, if you use different Wi-Fi and Bluetooth technologies. You know, that's something that your manufacturer would be handling. I really wouldn't worry about it. If you think Bluetooth should be integrated, I mean, Bluetooth's in everything now. It's not something I would be tremendously worried about. Um, and sometimes the companies like, you know, like I went to, uh, it was a hardware show and they had this bicycle rack where you would pull with a string, the bicycle up to the roof. Right. And he's like, Hey, look, it's, uh, I have an app and he pressed the button and it raised up the uh, bicycle using this string pulley system up to the roof. And I'm like, I kind of said to him, that's freaking stupid. Like, when would you ever be outside of the room that your bike is in to raise it up? Why not just to put a button on the wall? And he's like, yeah, dude, you're right. It's totally silly. People want Bluetooth on everything. So um, to me, if there was just a wire coming down, which probably would have been cheaper and you press a button, but people like putting it on their phone. You press a button and then it lowers down, you know. So it, it, there was a time where our students were everything Bluetooth and the companies weren't there yet. But now companies are putting everything on there. They may or may not want to do it. So I recommend quite often, if it's not absolutely essential, you mention Bluetooth and you say optional so they can decide if they want to do it or not do it. I talked to somebody just the other day and I'm like, I don't really see Bluetooth being essential there. Put it, put it optional on your sell sheet so they can decide because you don't want it to kill a deal. Um, Dong, Dong Guo, uh, should you contact different companies as potential licensees and see whose item or royalty is better for you? Yeah, you should contact everybody. And it's and you should and you should contact them all at the same time, not one at a time, or it'll take forever. Because it takes some of them a while to get back to you. You reach out multiple times. If you got 30 companies, it's a shotgun blast going out to everybody. You see what comes back to you. Try to get a no from everybody. Move forward at the maybes. Try to turn them into a yes. It's not unusual for one of our students to reach out to 30 companies, have five get back to them, maybe four fall off and you deal deal with one. Maybe you contact 30 companies, only one gets back to you, but you do a deal with them. Maybe they all fall off. It's all normal and typical, but you don't do it one at a time. It will take you freaking forever and you'll drive yourself nuts. And you'll interview them about what they can do with the product. doesn't matter that they're huge. You need to define what their plans are for the product so you can set up a licensing agreement. You need to interview them about that. And early on in the negotiation, they'll share things with you they shouldn't share. So you can pull all sorts of information from them. Okay. Um, I'm glad that a lot of you came back. Um, it's great. You've been talking for a while. I don't know what happened to my mic, but it's really dumb with with YouTube Studio, with the live stream, you cannot reset it. If the mic goes out, you're toast. That's it. You need to start a new stream. So uh, let's see. Uh, Colin says, thanks for doing this live stream. I know there's an incredible amount of variables in this question. How would you say the average time it takes to file a provisional, uh, to make a provisional a full patent? Oh, interesting. It's really not important. Um, 
So, you know, if you license the product and, you know, ideally you want to try to get the company to pay you as an advance on royalties or as an advance to pay for the patent, maybe they're resistive to that and you just get them to give you some sort of advance and you put that money towards a patent. So it's really not critical that that gets done overnight as long as it gets done before the 12-month period so you can reference your provisional and preserve that filing date, you're fine. Um, so... You know, how long does it take an attorney to write that? It can vary dramatically depending on how busy um, the patent attorney is. Now, I'm going to specifically answer your question. For people that aren't experienced with patents, I'm going to say this. When a patent attorney files a patent, it takes one to three years before the patent office gets back to you and the patent attorney with what's called office actions, which I like to describe in layman's terms as an argument between your attorney and the patent examiner on what claims you're going to get or not get. So the answer is, once the patent is filed, it takes one to three years for the patent office to get back to you and then for the, pat the patent to issue, okay? And that's not really a problem. Patent pending status for doing a licensing deal, perfectly, totally okay. Very few companies care one way or another. If a company insists that your patent is issued, in order to do a deal with you. They are archaic. They're a freaking dinosaur. That's a major red flag. They might say it at first and you convince them it's not necessary. That's fine. But if they have, they say that the patent has to be issued, those are dinosaur mega corporations. It's archaic thinking. Because most of the time, by the time the patent issues, a lot of times the product doesn't even make sense anymore. It's ridiculous. Okay, so Colin, I hope you found that helpful. Um, Mario says books for beginners question mark get our book one simple idea go on to Amazon type in one simple idea or just go to eventright.com and go to resources one simple idea the yellow book that would be the best book it really explains uh, Mario our 10-step system so make sure to check that out um, Mark says hi Andrew I have a utility patent I have patented I have patented feature on my I have patent I have a patented feature on my device. Should I put my patented feature on my cell sheet? Should I get an NDA before I send a cell sheet? So again, everything we share tonight is not legal advice. So seek the service of an attorney before you do anything. What I can tell you is what we train and teach our students to do is file a provisional patent. That's your protection. If you insist every company sign an NDA, you're gonna feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. Just imagine this. They see, let's say they don't see that many. Let's say they see 100 ideas a month from inventors. Every inventor has their own NDA. It says, I want you to sign my NDA. They would need to have an attorney in there to review every NDA to make sure in every single word of that NDA to make sure that it doesn't say you own their company or something messed up like that. So sometimes they want you to sign their NDA, which usually protect them and not you. Sometimes it'll give some measure of protection to you. Your measure of protection is your provisional patent application. That is what you filed. Also, the fact that you're creating a paper trail. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to send an NDA. Maybe they want a prototype. Maybe they want minute details and ask them to sign your NDA now. But you're one of very few inventors that they really showed interest in your product. And now they'll take the time to review your NDA if it's really important. But preferably, you don't even go there. You sign their NDA and you're creating a paper trail on what you showed them and when, and you've got your provisional patent filed. So that's my take on it. That is not legal advice. Seek the service of an attorney if you need legal advice, Mark. But I've heard attorneys say, 
ask every company to sign your NDA and the inventors why, wondering why they never get back to them because of what I just said. It's just not practical. Um, so I'm not saying you never do it, but usually our students will do it later if they want more detailed information. Uh, David said, can I license a product without a PPA? Does a PPA stop a company from stealing my idea? Yes, you can license a company without a PPA. We always advise all our students, and you guys are not students. Our students are people that become members of our coaching program. Sometimes people get confused. Hey, I'm a student of yours, Andrew. It's very flattering. It's like I've been watching on YouTube, live, and the stream. And, but, but we advise our students to always get, and our fans, you guys are fans, to always get a provisional patent. It's only $70, so it's very important to do that. Always, always, always do that. Um, does a PPA stop a company from stealing my idea? No, it's not a patent, guys. It's a provisional patent application that preserves a filing date. You're putting them on notice that you've preserved your date for that protection for that product. If you later file a full utility, then you reference the provisional, then you could go after them. But you even then, until the patent issues one to three years later, you don't have a patent. You can't beat them over the head with that. Now, have I ever had a student that's had to do that? Never. So there's this perception that all these companies are there to steal your ideas, and it's just not the case. Um, but no, it doesn't give you a right to sue them, but it could if you file a, a full utility later and then reference the provisional, and then you have protection from the date. So you're preserving your filing date, providing you file a full utility. Um, let's see. Tonya says, thank you for the info, Andrew. You're welcome. Uh, Queen, Queen says, what is a good company to use for a simple plastic mold prototype? Well, the question is, Queen, do you need a plastic mold prototype? Is it fairly obvious when a company looks at your cell sheet with a rendering or something, are they going to go, oh yeah, we can make that. This perception that you need to have a production ready, beautiful, perfect prototype is a misperception. Um, so if they can look at similar products and go, oh, yeah, we can do this. And you made a marketing piece that showed them how they're going to sell it. Don't go out and make a prototype. So if you book on the prototype page on inventright.com, that'll be booked. You'll be booked directly with me. I can tell you whether or not I think you need a prototype or you just need guidance to, to license this thing. So go ahead and book on our prototype page with me and I'll be happy to talk to you about that. Um, Diane was one of the questions that people were asking, I think, when I was speaking and off and my mic wasn't working. Um, Hi, Andrew. How can you secure your ideas before presenting a sell sheet to companies? And the answer is a provisional patent application. That preserves your filing date. Um, Uh, JB, when do you do drawings on a PPA? How many ways do you have to show your idea if there are many variations? So I love that idea, JB. 80% of filing a good provisional patent application is not legal speak because a provisional patent can be written in common English. Any of you out there can do it. It's thinking about the variations, workarounds, improvements. You're not going to include, and this is, I'm going to save you guys some time here. A, a version that's half as good of yours in your provisional patent, because that's not competition. But a version that's 70%, 80% as good, just as good, but not the version you're pitching, you should include those provisionals in your provisional patent application. So 
inventors are very creative, but after a while, you're like, this is what my product is. This is what it is. This is what it is. This is what it is. And that's what you should do in your sell sheet. You should show what the product is and its benefits. But when you come to the PPA, you got to put your feet up on the desk and go, oh, how can I knock myself off? What are the other ways of doing it? And then throw all that in your provisional patent application. And you can do that with drawings. You can do that with words. You can do it with pictures. You can do it all sorts of different ways. And that is the key to filing a good provisional patent application. Also, not including limited language. My product's exactly like this. You know, it's like this, but not limited to these methods, not limited to these materials. You can't use limiting language. You can use limiting language, but then you have to broaden it out before you finish up that sentence and not limit yourself. So um, who is that one from? But that was a great question. Thank you. Let's see. I lost. Uh, oh, that was JV. Uh, JB says, when you search your idea, doesn't that make it public since they give most search items list? No, this perception that you're going to be searching for something on Google and somebody is watching you and will know what you're searching or how you're searching and that would make your idea public. That's like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. No. And what if they, uh, no. I don't, I don't think that's what you're saying, JB, but you're saying when you search your idea, doesn't that make it public? No, I don't think when you search your idea on Google Images, that makes it public because you're using keywords. You're not like somebody would need to see those searches and then expound upon those and invent and improve those. You know, no, no. Um, so... Good. I love this. Bridal Buddy says, why is licensing better than direct to consumer sales? This is why it's better. You guys have been watching these live chats and YouTube. You've seen us do this a million times before. But the reason why it's better is you get everything in one place, Bridal Buddy. Uh, yes, that's their handle. Um, you get the money. Big company. They have 50, 60, 80 products, 20 products, whatever it is. They have unlimited money for a product that sells well. Workforce. They have an accounting person, salesperson, manufacturing person. Um, you know, they have everybody in the company already doing everything it takes to bring a product to market. They're just going to plug your product into that machine and they're working for you. So think of all these people in the company working for you. Then the third thing is distribution. If they're in 30,000 stores, boom, you're in 30,000 stores. When you start your own business, you have to start your distribution from scratch. Retailers don't like you. They don't take you seriously. They don't want to deal with you. You're underfunded. You're not going to deliver on time. You can't get good pricing. And, and so that's the reason why, one of the reasons why licensing is much more beneficial than venturing. Yeah, okay, you start your own business. You're struggling. You sell 5,000 units a year where maybe this big licensee sells 400,000 units a year. People go, well, I want all the profit. Well, Okay, maybe you're making a 20% profit margin on those 5,000 units, but this big company is selling 400,000 units a year and paying you a 6% royalty. You do the math. You're going to earn more money with licensing. There's nothing wrong with starting your own business, selling it yourself, but this perception that you'll make more money is not true. 
Now you have to run the numbers. You know, if the company you license to is only going to sell 2000 units a year, you're not going to be very happy with those royalty checks. That's why you need to think big when you're licensing and license to big companies that when you're getting a royalty on every unit, it's making a lot of sense and it's adding up the dollar and cents add up for you. Okay. So, um, and it's, you can license and keep your day job, keep your business. You can do this the rest of your life, spend two to six hours a week. You start your own business. You are dumping everything you're doing. You're spending 60 to 80 hour work weeks. It's all encompassing. It's overwhelming. Also, when you license to a big company, they get first to market. First to market, getting it out there in a big way fast prevents knockoffs and reduces the knockoffs. And they're huge and they get the pricing down because they're this massive company. You have a rinky dink little company and everybody else knocks you off. And it's like they don't even know you exist because you weren't able to push it out fast and hard from the get go. Um, so those but there is no right or wrong. If you're if you're really into running your own business and you just enjoy running a company, you have to be more excited about running that company than you are about the product because it's more about running the company and all sorts of things that have nothing to do with the product that will make you and the product successful. So that's the, the difference. It's a great question. Uh, let's see. I lost track there. Francisco, your content is amazing. I've already licensed three inventions with the knowledge I've got from your YouTube channel. Wow, that's great, Francisco. Congratulations, man. Um, Drop me an email at Andrew at InventRight and share those with me. I'd love to see those. So drop me an email, Andrew at InventRight.com. I'd love to see those, Francisco. Um, let's see. Jack says, hi, Andrew. When I make my one-minute sales video showing the problem and solution, is it okay to show my prototype? Um, secret sauce, which is pretty good. They would most likely figure it out or wait. So, you know, here's the thing. A lot of times when you show your prototype or you show your product, it's pretty obvious how it's going to be made. Other times it's not. But don't hold back on anything that would help them understand the product and the benefit of the product where it's kind of like, I don't know what this guy's selling. Don't ever do that. You're shooting yourself in the foot. But if it's something behind the scenes that wouldn't be how they would market it, when you make a marketing piece, you're always showing them how they're going to market it. You're making a sell sheet for their customer. So if there's, you would never share with the customer, oh, this is how we did the hinge on the backside because they don't care. They're like, oh, it makes it easier to use this doorstop or whatever it is, right? And so if it doesn't hinder your marketing pitch, go ahead and hold back on that stuff. But hinders your marketing pitch, please include it. Don't be secretive because they'll be like, I don't know what this thing does or why I'd want it. Never hold back if that's going to... Um, and, and again, you filed your provisional patent application, but it's some little technical engineering thing that's not part of the marketing. Don't include it. And it might be something extra intriguing for them to want to reach out to you. Fine. Um, uh, berry girl, berry girl. I've signed a contract for my product with my college. They will help license it and pay for the patent. I will receive 40% of the revenue after it's licensed. Any advice for these kinds of deals? I don't know of any college that's licensed anything. They usually like really piss poor at doing that. I would be shocked if the college you're working with licenses anything. I would take a very close look at what they've licensed in the past and how they're doing it. I'm skeptical. 
um, they will help license it. Um, colleges don't know how to license stuff. Now I might be wrong. So, um, you know, drop me an email at Andrew and Ventwright and tell me what college is doing it. Um, and, and I would, uh, I would like to talk with you about that. I find that interesting. Um, I, I'm a little skeptical that that's going to go anywhere. Um, <clears throat> what happens when my provisionals are filed after my patent was filed? <clears throat> my patent has now been approved. So you can file additional provisionals on improvements to your product. And if for some reason those additional improvements are important, you'll file another utility and then you'll reference that new provisional. So that's the reason why you don't really want to go out there and file provisionals, guys, because you can't upgrade them. You can't add to them um, when you when, after they've been approved. You can file another provisional, but then you need to file another full patent. That's why it's great just to file a provisional, see what the interest is, then just file one patent, and you can actually reference multiple provisionals. So you're going to be filing a new provisional and then referencing a new patent if those are a problem. Now, if you're, if you're so that when you file this provisional on some other improvement, see if they're interested in that. Maybe it's covered under your original patent, but immediately start calling companies. Um, you know, don't just file provisionals and just protect yourself. What's the point of all this patent stuff if you don't reach out to companies, right? So hopefully that was Alaska Knight. That was that was their question. Um, Diane says, how can you know if your idea was stolen? You know, I've had students that were suspecting this company might steal their idea. I said, well, monitor their website. See if they come out with it. Never seen it happen in 20 years. It could happen, um, but it hasn't happened to one of our students. But our students conduct themselves professionally. So I think that the 3 or 4% of companies that might knock you off, when they talk about it internally, they're like, now nah, this person, Diane, she knows she did these things. She's not that, like, that clueless inventor from a year ago. Let's just let it be. Let's not go ahead and do it. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why our students haven't been knocked off. Um, but if you're a wacky inventor doing wacky stuff, those few companies that might consider knocking you off, they might do it. So you'd monitor their website to see. Um, Jason, can you license a landing deal with just a sell sheet? Uh, cannot do a video for the moment, but want to start sending out my idea. The sell sheet is very good. Thank you, Andrew. You're the best. Thank you, Jason. Um, yeah, you can totally license products with just sell sheet. Our students have been doing it for 20 years. Um, absolutely, you can. So very straightforward answer. Uh, David says, is it safe to present to companies my product without a PPA? I always advise our students to file a PPA. It's 70 bucks. If you can't afford 70 bucks, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be focusing on improving your income level and then coming back to licensing. You can do licensing with next to no money, but if you can't afford 70 bucks, you're not focusing on the right things. You need to have a certain income level. And I'm not saying that's the case for you, David. It was just a good question. But I, I talked to some people. They literally like, I'm flat broke. I don't have two pennies to put together. I can't afford $70 for a provisional patent. And my answer is, get a job, do something that provides an income level so you don't have that stress and then come back to licensing. So there's a lot of products you can literally license for spending less than 200 bucks, 70 bucks for a provisional, maybe a virtual prototype and a sell sheet. Maybe it's two, 300 bucks in, which is amazing, but you can't do it for nothing. Um, you know, David, sometimes 
students working in the novelty business where you're cranking out like 10 ideas a month to these novelty companies and they're just rough sketches and you're just, I see some novelty inventors skipping the PPA. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to always file a provisional patent and that's my advice. But sometimes in some categories that can make sense if you're really prolific. But when people are starting off, it gives you the warm and fuzzies to have for $70 that protection and to not worry about it. So I think it's a very beneficial thing to do. I advise all inventors to do that until you get really used to the game. And even then, most of the time, it makes sense to still file a PPA. Um, uh, let's see. Jason, an attorney reviewed All-Star's terms and conditions and recommended to not send ideas as it technically states they can do whatever they like with your idea. Please advise if you think it's okay to send. So All-Star is a DRTV infomercial company. I know that part in their contract, and I'm very confused by why that's in there. To me, it, it looks like that's more the terms of service for the website. Um, I have never known All-Star to, we send a lot of our students there to steal an idea from one of the inventors that we've sent over there. So, um, but I find it very odd their wording. And my understanding is that's more of a terms of service for the website. Why it's in the submission agreement, I don't know. Um, but normally, yeah, if you're not okay with the terms, do not submit. Um, and I don't know why they have that awkward wording in there. I've talked to them about it several times. They don't remove it. I've never known. Trust me, we wouldn't send people over there if they started stealing people's ideas. Um, so you have to decide what's right for you, Jason. Um, there's other DRTV companies you can send to. Uh, how do you do a trade show in COVID times? You don't, but it's not necessary. So you got to make your list of companies and just approach them directly. And some of these uh, trade shows they're doing, starting to do virtual shows now. So there might be some opportunities there. I think is a hardware show going to be virtual in October here. I forget the date. I need to check. I registered for it. I forget. I need to check that out and see how that works. So that might be a possibility if they start to do virtual stuff. And you can meet with these companies virtually and get a few minutes of FaceTime. Um, but for the most part, you don't need trade shows. You can just approach these companies directly. Um, hey, Andrew, just bought Smart IP, and it's an amazing program. That's our software to help you file a provisional. My current invention has two functions. When writing my PPA, can I mention both functions? Absolutely, you can. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to do a PPA that's completely unrelated. Like, I got this dog toy invention and they got this medical device, but if they're related, you can throw that all into your provisional. Absolutely. Um, Radical Rick, sorry, you're wrong. Lots of colleges license their products. You're right. Uh, Radical Rick, a lot of companies do have technology transfer programs and most of them fall flat on their face and they have an abysmal success rate with being able to license technology out um, really, really bad. And, and they have very, very little success there. Um, but, and it's really more for technology. It's not for a new gadget or a gizmo like a lot of inventors are working on. Um, but they do have transfer technology programs and that can make sense for some of you. Um, but I just, we've been talking to a few colleges that are like, our tech transfer program's not working. We don't have any successes. We got to show successes and now they're showing interest in having us work for them. So that's, that's the truth. Um, but you're right. 
uh, companies uh, like colleges do have tech transfer programs, but it doesn't work for your new wine bottle opener. They're not interested in that. Um, so if you have a tech product or something, that might make sense for you. But then you're wrapped up with them and they, they have an abysmal success rate. They don't like license it for you, I've found. Um, uh, uh, David says, does a PPA cease after 12 months? Yes, it does, David. It will be as if you never filed it after 12 months. And But you could file that same provisional again, provided you didn't make a public disclosure and get another 12 months, but it does not extend the first 12 months. Um, Betty says, thank you, Andrew. I always learn something new. You're welcome, Betty. Alaska Knights says, while I was waiting on my patent, my patent has now been granted all claims. Congratulations, Alaska Knight. I, I worry, though, if all claims were granted, that the patent attorney didn't try to get more claims. Rarely do you get all your claims. So I worry that they put in put, uh, maybe they made the claims too easy to grant. But, um, but if you're very happy with the claims, congratulations. Great. Take a look at those, though. Um, uh, hi, Andrew. If your idea is multiple parts, could be work, work independently and together. Should I have separate PPAs and trademarks? You know, you, you can usually include all those variations in one PPA um, and one provisional patent application. Of course, I don't know what your product is, so I can't say for sure. But you can usually include those variations as well. You always should in a PPA. Uh, Mike says, should we use NDAs with InventRight services? For example, the prototype drawing. Yeah, we sign NDAs. Any service provider that doesn't sign an NDA um, runs screaming. So all our students, we sign an NDA. It says you own everything. You keep 100% of it. Any improvements we come up with, you own for, for anything you, you do with us. Um, Uh, Alfred, how do I present my sell sheet to innovative companies without stealing my ideas, without reaching out to me? Okay. I don't know what you mean. What you mean, Alfred, is you got permission, you send your sell sheet, and then they didn't reach back out to you. I don't know what you mean there. But the answer is creating a paper trail with the emails and a provisional patent application. Okay. Uh, David says, can I get a United States provisional patent, even though I live in the Q UK? Absolutely. Anywhere in the world, you can file a provisional patent. We've had students in 65 countries. So do not limit yourself to your geography. There's no difference between you, David, in the UK and one of our students in the US. You have all the same rights. So everything will still apply to you. Um, Falcone says, can you share some companies that accept open innovation? You know, geez, most companies do these days. Most companies don't hang out a shingle saying they're open to it. Some do have a portal, some don't. If they're in a major retailer where you want to be, you reach out to them and you ask. And don't be afraid of them saying no, because most companies do if you get a hold of the right person. So don't look for this confirmation that yes, we're open. And they said this giant banner on their website. Sometimes that's a red flag. Um, sometimes they have something on their site. A lot of times they don't, but you contact the marketing manager. They're like, oh yeah, send it on over. Okay. So we're about three minutes past. I want to apologize for my mic cutting out. Um, hopefully most of you came on back to the live stream. Um, 
uh, Alfred said, hey, uh, you're doing a great job. Can I meet you in person? Maybe we'll have to wait till after COVID. Um, Steve and myself, a lot of the InventRight team, we will go to trade shows and meet up, do InventRight meetups at trade shows, um, houseware show, hardware show, CES, all sorts of trade shows. But that is obviously on hold until COVID gets a little better. But hopefully we can meet up with you at a trade show sometime in the future. Um, Mike says, does InventRight help with just a licensing contract? Yes, we do. Reach out to me. Drop me an email, Mike, at Andrew and InventRight if you have a licensing contract. Uh, Gavin said, great job. Once again, amazing work. Ryan says, thanks, Andrew. So you're welcome, guys. I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and remind you that inventing for 95% of you is part of who you are. Do not stop. Do not give in. Do not give up. Learn what you need to learn. Don't be the inventor that just files patents and does prototypes. Be the inventor that actually reaches out to companies, whether that's with our help or with somebody else's help. Do it. Reach out. Live the dream. And take care and keep inventing. See you guys. Bye.